Well, hey, y'all. Happy Monday or whatever day this finds you. You know, it's hard not to talk about Beyonce announcing her newest body of work at or during the Super Bowl. Can y'all sense a little bit of a difference? Okay, we're, we're up-leveling over here at Galt's Radio. There's a little higher resolution now, which actually is horrifying to me. Um, this is literally just like water on my shirt because my hair was wet and it looks like I just like ate potato chips and like dropped them in a necklace for me. <laughs> like this is, I don't think y'all need to see me in 4K. I don't know why this is the future, but it's here. I'm also testing out, I will be testing out some new software. We're a small business, y'all, believe it or not. Now he's got a checking account, he's got a credit card, he's licensed, he's incorporated, he's set up to make content and no money. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. It's cool actually owning something and uh, it's fun to play around with this stuff. A few years ago when I was doing uh, a pandemic version of this, I was focusing on my cycling classes and I was teaching from home. And I remember all that energy and it's kind of coming back to me where I bought the soundboard, I bought mixers, microphones, was learning how to do things live with full fidelity audio. It was tricky, but it was so fun. Um, and it helped me through, I don't know, until really I got the, the job to teach in person again. And in a way I'm like feeling that again, but also like, creating content is this hilarious, like, I don't actually ever even want to use those words again, nor do I ever want to hear the word influencer <laughs> again. Um, but the world of it is very interesting. We think we know it so much as an observer. And then when you step into like a pocket of your own, trying to create of your own, you realize like, oh, there, I mean, just like anything, there's a lot to it. And then I've started to see the lines in the sand of like, okay, yeah, people really latch onto super current things, super high def things. They want to see like my boogers coming out of my nose. Um, edited things, beautiful things. There's all these softwares to like help creatives and creators. And then also reactions. And I realized when Beyonce this weekend during the Super Bowl announced her next body of work and I reacted through my stories. I was learning my own thoughts as I was processing them, which to me signaled the my instinct, which is, I believe, correct, which is like, I'm not a reactor. <laughs> I think once in a while it's fun and it's cool to catalog like your initial impulse when you see something go live, but it's not where my most thoughtful analysis comes out, nor do I think anyone's, but I get it if that's what people want to watch. So this is like, this is my pace here. Okay, something happened like what, one or two days ago. Now we're talking about it. Now I'm thinking about it. I've synthesized. I've also just gotten a little bit of time with like hearing a few other perspectives of it that I wouldn't have thought of and it helps influence my own. So yeah, I guess it's like not unadulterated in that it's like sat with me and other people a little bit longer, but it also I think is a stronger, more cohesive perspective. So today I did wanna, I wanted to like not necessarily react, but talk about a timely thing which I found myself having some strong opinions on. And I love lightning rod topics that stir strong opinions because I just think it's interesting that they cause strong opinions. And like, you know, at the end of the day, whoever has created the topic, in this case, it's Beyonce announcing what seems to be a new album, they win because we're here talking about it. And like, this is like, <laughs> this is how media works. But 
we're in this like rarefied time when there's not that many people in a position like hers in the world. There's right now there's like two, it's her and Taylor that when they do things like this, we've never really experienced things. At least like we millennials have not had like that Michael Jackson effect until Beyonce. And now Taylor, I think is having it too of using something live in the moment uh, something that she knows everyone's going to be watching the Super Bowl. This is the thing with the most eyes on it, obviously the most ad spend. And uh, there's so much money spent and made around this time to then like use it to then work her platform. Um, it's we don't have many people that like would create this sort of like concentric set of like seismic rings um, the way that she does. So Beyonce announced what seems to be act two of her, what I believe is rumored to be a three-part uh, record project. Act one being Renaissance, act two being yet to be announced name, what seems to be a country album. Now, my knee, I had knee-jerk reactions. I'll talk about those. I've had more thoughtful reactions after. I've synthesized some of this. But one thing I realized is like, I didn't react to the announcement as negatively as I did to Taylor doing a similar thing, but at the Grammys, announcing her next album, which really rubbed me the wrong way when I watched that live. So I was actually watching that broadcast. Why did that rub me the wrong way? You know, I'm obviously coming, coming in with my own preconceived, like, or not preconceived, but my own built perceptions and like tastes for these artists and my levels of like caring what they do and like also caring about how they carry themselves. Taylor's announcement seemed to take the space of having a minute to express gratitude and instead she used it to market. Now Beyonce's was in what could only be seen as like a capitalist day. Like the Super Bowl is like a sports day, but it's like when everyone's almost just all in on capitalism. It's all ads, it's all money, like, it in a way didn't seem to co-opt anything that was problematic. It just kind of like was yet another piece of marketing in a day that's like really become dedicated to marketing. Like I didn't watch this game. I don't usually, but like even just the shots I'm sure of the stadium, there's like ads all around it. Like the whole thing is just like announcing or trying to direct money towards people, companies and things. So I guess one reason I wasn't as upset about Beyonce using the moment for herself was because it's like, well, everyone's trying to do that. Everyone's jockeying for attention in those like two or three hours. Whereas Taylor used an opportunity to like, instead of expressing gratitude, like push forward and like try to redirect the gratitude into sales, which felt kind of problematic. So I guess, yeah, that kind of like, to me explains why this felt different. I will say though, I mean, Usher couldn't even get like five minutes. Like, I don't know what the actual timing was. Did anyone actually watch it live and can tell me how soon after Usher's performance she announced this shit? Like, that's a little rough. And she has done that before. Um, in the 2017 to 2020 span, when she was taking multiple years for some of her projects, one of them being Beachella, which she performed one year and then announced or then released the recordings of the next, this exact same thing happened. It was the year after Beachella, which I believe was 2019, Ariana Grande was headlining in the slot that Beyonce had had the year before. And straight up during that weekend, Beyonce announces, hey, remember last year though? <laughs> my set, my recorded version of that is on Netflix right now. So people are like literally physically at Coachella, like streaming 
last year's Coachella. So she's kind of infamous for like redirecting attention from someone else or something else onto her. But she's at least in a way picking times or moments where it's like the form of attention isn't changing. She's not like pulling us out of paying attention to a really, really, really important earth shattering thing onto her in a way. It's like capitalism thing one or performance thing one just being redirected onto her. So it's not great. It's not the best look. And Usher absolutely crushed it and maybe is not as high in the like headlines of the news cycle because of this. So that's a bit of a bummer. Now, Beyonce announcing that she's going to be working in and through uh, and inside of country music, ostensibly for, for her next chapter, did actually, my knee-jerk reaction was kind of negative to that. And it is not from a level of gatekeeping that genre or not being excited of hearing Beyonce's approach to that genre. It's from a couple things. The first thing is, by now, it's pretty known and very obvious that Beyonce moves through eras in what can sometimes be seen as an incomplete way. We can, we can see this in the history of projects where she's really sunk into one particular vibe or genre or setting or aesthetic and then kind of not discarded it, but maybe not fully fleshed it out. She's a reference artist. She is a collage artist. And this is not said with shade, but at this point we have to acknowledge that no Beyonce song is written by just her ever. There's legions of songwriters. We even talked about this here last time. There's songwriting camps to get these records made for her. The same is true for the visuals. I mean, and at the highest level, the same is true for the storyboarding of the eras themselves. I felt the needle switch in a way from Beyonce thinking ahead and doing something that people weren't doing, hearing, seeing, or thinking about to Beyonce lagging a little bit with the Renaissance project. It did just feel like to me when I heard Break My Soul be a house record in 2021 or 2022, I was like, huh, really? Like a lot of people are doing this. Now we'll get to like how and why Beyonce does it. And that's different. She's coming to it, I believe, ostensibly with different principles, different intentions. But it did, it was the first time, literally the first time in her long career that I felt like, uh, the wave's already happening. Like, the wave is just, you're adding to it now? Interesting. Like, you're not pushing it or redirecting us to a different wave. You're actually just, like, getting on your surfboard with the other people on their surfboard riding, riding the house wave. So it kind of felt like she was behind. And in a way, the country thing is like the second time that I've been like, uh, other people have done this. And it's kind of funny as I was posting in my stories too, like it's almost a thing that if you arrive at a certain level of preeminence as a main pop girly or just like a big pop star that is a huge broad audience that gets to release like let's say like five six plus records in their lifetime it seems almost inevitable that one of them is going to be a country one and i was like listing out to all of the not to gender it, but it seems like all the women like put the 10 gallon hat on at some point and this one for some reason felt like we literally just did this like five six years ago was like a big groundswell of this which doesn't invalidate her doing it now but it does feel like at least on the trend cycle this is lagging i thought a lot about like Madonna did this in 2000. It was the first record post Ray of Light. I think Ray of Light was the last one in the 90s. And then music, I think, was in 2000 or 2001. Maybe 2002, but I think earlier than that. And that was when some of her, the music that sticks to me from her career the most came from that. But very much her country moment. 
And then the five, six years ago that I'm talking about was like Kylie Minogue, who is like, if anything, very much a trend following, like they call them chameleon artists. Miley Cyrus gets this designation sometimes too. And it's meant as a compliment. I actually don't always see it that way because I'm like, they really just trend chase in a way. They do it well. I think Kylie and Miley, that's funny. They rhyme, <laughs> do it well, but like, so Kylie released Golden in, I think, 2015-ish um, and like really explored just inside out the country genre, always like very pop. Kylie Minogue is like a pop, pop, pop girly. And also, by the way, completely unabashed about trend chasing or trend following. She like, nobody does it better than her and she like owns it. Um, but that happened, Lady Gaga's Joanne, when she put the like pink hat on and was like the country singer songwriter with a little bit of folk. I mean, she had a straight up song called John Wayne on that record. That was 2000, I think 16. Um, and then also right now it seems to be happening again. Like Lana Del Rey just days ago announced like, or like officially announced or corroborated the rumors that her next record called Lasso is a country record. And like, it just seems like the, for some reason what used to be like maybe a 10 year cycle is now like five although i guess 2015 is almost 10 years ago so maybe my brain is not on the right setting which is wild to me but it just feels like this little like genre fetish cycle is spinning faster so all that is just to say that it feels yet again to me that maybe in the course of this three-act project beyonce is like behind the aesthetic eight ball in such a way that like is really reading as like a, in, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but like an aging millennial star. Like it doesn't have necessarily their thumb on the pulse of like at least what the most cutting edge thing is anymore, the way that she once did. Um, but let's like step back and talk also about how, how and when she started doing this like eras style. I, I hate calling it eras because it seems like Taylor Swift has trademarked that at this point, but how and when Beyonce started doing these genre deep dives. It took several albums to see this start to play out in her career. So Beyonce had three or four albums with Destiny's Child. I think three, then her first solo album, and then the fourth, which was Destiny Fulfilled. All of those albums and her first solo album were very R&B, rhythm and blues, like very, very, very R&B. Then she started um, in her first two solo albums. So Dangerously in Love and B-Day exploring, I think a, a micro genre of like pop R&B that was at the time called Go-Go. Um, Amory's One Thing was like a very popular kind of Go-Go style R&B pop song. Crazy in Love is almost interchangeable just as a produced track with, with One Thing in that kind of style. She's also been like criticized of like stealing Amory's career. So that's another thing. But in a way, she was not straying too far from like R&B as the center. Um, I Am Sasha Fierce album three was very much a pop album, started to push into some of the electronic stuff that was really popular. That was like when Gaga was, had become really big and like Euro EDM was on the radio. And then album four for B called Four. So, I mean, this is spanning 10 years of her own solo career back in a way almost more ardently in the center of the R&B genre and was more of a throwback R&B record. So it was like 80s, kind of like 80s synth vibes um, with some like new electronic sounds. Like she also, I mean, one of her singles was a major laser produced track. So like it had edges of like modernity, but it was still very, very, very R&B. It really took us or took her until self-titled, which was in 2013 to show us that she could take really abrupt pivots and left turns. And when she did that for the first time, it seemed like the first left turn was into 
hip hop. It was kind of always a part of her legacy because especially in her relationship with Jay-Z and she had featured as a singer on some hip hop songs previously. She's never really rapped until she released in that, if y'all remember, like she released what would become Flawless onto SoundCloud first. And it was like the beginning of it really fleshed out and it was super hard. It was a, it was like electronic trap. And she's like not really singing. She's singing a little bit, but it's more like chewed up parts of her vocal. Like I'm in an H town, coming, coming down. Like it was more, it was just different. And that hip hop kind of aesthetic was really played out on self-titled. Some tracks she didn't sing at all. Um, some of what would become my favorite tracks were the ones where she was like really far away from what she had done. But it took me personally a really long time to get used to her, like not being like a singer's singer in that moment because she had just just years ago released like love on top and was like belting for the gods and i was like oh my god keep doing this but she was like nah um which was cool right like she got your appetite right where she needed it and then like left turned to me that's the cutting edge thing that i'm not personally feeling from her anymore coming off of that then we had to me like the prototype of her being like hey, that genre thing, like that exposition of a genre, I want to do like a lot of that now. And Lemonade was really that. So Lemonade was an album where she explored within not the longest album, I think it was an 11 or 12 song album, like maybe five or six different genres. It was really a mood and story driven record. Aesthetically, obviously, I'm sure we all remember if you're following me, you remember and this was a record that you probably loved. It was very much like kind of like Southern Gothic. It was a lot of really ornate fashions used as the backdrop of which the story that she was painting of being a black woman with roots from the South, dealing with like philandering men and the greater story of not having power or agency in the way that a modern woman or black person or black woman could or should. Um, so it was this really ranging project, really soulful, and the genres that she explored were very wide ranging to match. So we had some singer songwriter. We had um, Pray You Catch Me was very much a singer songwriter song. We had some like alternative pop. I mean, the, the single Hold Up is like a really weird single built out of samples. She really started using more samples in this project. We had Rock, Don't Hurt Yourself, which was one of my favorite songs with Jack White, I thought was like an extraordinary and strange and unexpected use of her voice. We had gospel, if y'all remember the ballad, Sandcastles, very gospel driven, just piano and voice on that song, maybe with some background voices, but very in the gospel canon. And then we also had um, Freedom, which was like a gospel style, like R&B chant anthem. We definitely had multiple subgenres of hip hop. I mean, Sorry was a trap song. Formation, which I think would be correctly characterized as a trap song, right? I think, who did, would, was that a Mike Will Made It song? I think so. And then that brings us to, not necessarily in sequence, but her first real country song. The one that set the stage potentially for what's to come, which was Daddy Lessons. Now y'all, when I watched Lemonade premiere live, the first time I was like, on my feet like sweating with excitement and like clapping and moving my body to the music and the story simultaneously was daddy lessons she was fully captured in what she was wanting to say her as the consummate performer um, and story weaver of that time in that guitar driven kind of like dark honky-tonk country slight folk 
like southern western southwestern country genre it was perfect for her it was the perfect container and i remember saying in the moment i want an entire album of this so why is it that now uh eight years later i'm not sure that i do i think one reason or one one thing that informs my less than fully embodied excitement about her doing a country album now i think kind of trailed from what she did after lemonade so first off we should say all of those different genre singles on Lemonade were submitted to the Grammys for consideration in their respective genre categories. I think there was some record that was broken by her submitting to what I believe was five different genres from one album in the same year. Now, she famously was denied consideration for Daddy Lessons, the country song which was wild because it was the most of its genre that was being submitted. You know, like it was the, it was a perfect pairing. Daddy Lessons was unequivocally a country song and it was an incredible one. And so like silent, but visual protest of that decision, she performed it live with the Dixie Chicks, also a group who were blacklisted and blackballed by the Grammys for different reasons, them uh, having come out against George Bush post 9-11, they were written off by the country music establishment. Now, Beyonce hadn't even like really dipped her toe in, but she was kind of being denied entrance at the first gate. So she said, okay, my sisters come on stage with me. They performed not at the Grammys, I believe at the CMAs, the country music awards and an incredible arrangement with like banjo. They had that like famous Barry sax player who like dances when he plays, he has like the wild blonde hair and it was an extraordinary performance in a rehearsal audio from a rehearsal of them doing that song is on Spotify and it's extraordinary. It's almost more dialed than the uh, performance that went live. So even before she got started in country, she was being denied. And I think that is the point that she now wants to prove and flesh out and say, this is a genre that has been gatekept by the wrong people for too long. This is a black genre and it is now being owned, operated, and kept with a fence by white artists and the white establishment. So that is a story in and of itself beyond enough for an incredible record to be made and a story to be told. But let's also look at what came after Lemonade. She took that genre-focused approach into her next projects. Now it took a long time between Lemonade and Renaissance. It was six years, but she wasn't not producing. She created three kind of big bodies of work, one of them being Homecoming. There wasn't any new music for Homecoming after Lemonade, maybe like a track or two or a feature that she had done on some other songs that worked their way in, but it was a recasting, a resetting of her own catalog, music that we all knew at that point, to the kind of visual aesthetic of uh, an HBCU, um, kind of painting the picture of like their homecoming with a massive presence of a marching band. She had, I think, 200 people on stage, performers, dancers, um, other singers and like band members. I mean, just the sound engineering of that is so complex. That in, of, in and of itself is a feat, but I think it was so cool to watch someone not make any new music, but just say, I'm gonna perform my first six albums and some of the Destiny's Child music in a new light and tell a new story, same material, new story, and in a way, new genre, kind of, you know what I mean? Then after Homecoming, she took on both the Lion King project and the Carters um, together 
their album, I think in 2018, called Everything Is Love. Um, that was very much a, a hip hop album, but the Lion King record that she released over the course of two years, first just the soundtrack and the music, and then the next year was the fully fleshed out visual um, film called Black Is King. That was very much more than just an exploration of blackness, very much a, a deep dive into modern uh, African music. Now that album, while it was so celebrated visually and the the amount of like fashion, aesthetic, musical, historical, traditional, cultural, ethnic, religious imagery that she wove into that project was so extraordinary. But musically, she was criticized for overemphasizing Eastern African music and kind of leaving Western African music out of the equation when even just by the standards of like the modern charts there were a lot of artists creating songs that are making global waves from western africa that she kind of missed now you know we're holding her to uh, at this point a rather impossible standard how could any one person capture an entire continent's worth of music in the modern day on one album let alone ever but it does at least invite the conversation of if you're going to do something do it with its fullest intentionality and comprehensiveness, at least what's available to you. It also came out that one of the reference films that she used for the video for, maybe it was a couple of the videos where she she and all of the dancers were posed in like different jewel tone fabrics and different natural environments that either were in Africa, I don't know where she filmed it, but it was like in desert conditions and in, in like savanna landscapes. There was like blues and greens and pinks and reds was very much just lifted from like an art house film and people were posting like, that she didn't give credit, it seemed to that film, I can't remember the name um, or the creator. This is definitely where like my <laughs> art limits lie. But the story started being told of like, you know, the more of these like big stories that Beyonce wants to take on, the more risk there is for her to not get it fully right. Because number one, she hasn't lived it. You know, she's from Houston. She's from a certain level of affluence. She's from, you know, a background that was rather comfortable. And yes, she's now a billionaire with a lot of access to a lot of things. In a way, like it can feel like she's just trampling upon the things that she's trying to speak of. And it also invited kind of a retrospective conversation about Lemonade. Lemonade came out the same year as Solange's kind of like big tour de force work, um, which was called A Seat at the Table, which was a different um, take on kind of modern feminine blackness in America specifically, really routed in like New Orleans and Southern Gothic imagery. Now she performed that and built that entire body of work very differently than Beyonce, but they came out only months apart. And it, it does kind of look like Beyonce was like, I'm kind of gonna take my sister's thing and like put my story in it. So, you know, in reflecting on who Beyonce is as an artist, because she's not necessarily the, she's not like putting her stock in just being a writer or just being a singer. She's really the, the storyteller and the performer. Everyone knows that she can perform the house down and that she always will and always has. No one questions that, least of all me. But the bigger, broader, and more personal and emotive the stories are that she takes on, it seems like not only does she take on greater risk of getting it wrong, especially if it's not exactly her story, but the stakes are higher for then like if she does get it wrong and 
the folks that are listening to her don't notice that the story suffers a lot of erasure and that there's parts of it missing. And what we don't want is an artist who just has money, access, and power to rewrite a history that they belong to, but that they don't necessarily have the authority to tell on their own right or in their own terms, if that makes sense. And so that sets up my concern for Beyonce kind of delving after her house moment into country. Now, Renaissance was a highly reference-filled album and a highly referential album. It was filled with samples, filled with interpolations, just like teams of writers. Like it was a panoply of names and collaborators and references. And I think in a way that kind of moonshot approach of like, we have to include anyone and everything, not indiscriminately, but very mindfully and with a really, really broad net was correct, especially having come from Black is King when her criticism was that the net was not wide enough or that it was not a representative enough sample if she's gonna step into that story. So Renaissance was not criticized to my knowledge or my understanding as much for those reasons as Black is King was, but there does kind of still exist the potential criticism that like, she is speaking all of a sudden for like a black queer history that she's not really spoken of in that way before. Is that story rightfully hers to go over to sit in, build community in, build performance in, and then move on from? Like, is that not exactly what the queer experience is, period? People doing that, you know, like taking things. But the same could be said of the black experience. And I think that's her point. She wants to perform back to us the way that Black stories, Black bodies, Black cultures have been colonized and sold back to Black people, white people, to all people as if they were never theirs to begin with. So Renaissance, to me, as a not Black person myself, but as a queer person, got a stronger, more cohesive mix of blackness, queerdom, femininity, also like nouveau masculinity, routed in ballroom, house, and disco better than some of her other referential projects had. So from that perspective, I should have confidence in what's to come. Now, I do not have the keys to the country kingdom. Like I'm not gonna necessarily be able to know how right she gets some of these references, but country is as broad of a genre as any. So, you know, even just in my joke of like how many pop stars have gone West, I realized like, well, West is like one version of it, you know, like mid-century American, like Western frontierism and like the sounds that came out of it is one thing. And that's a complicated history, right? It's like a robbing of native peoples of their cultures and traditions and their music and their aesthetics and their stories. There's also the Southwest. There's also the South. There's also the Midwest, like, and there's in some parts like the Northwest, like these all occupy country folk and storytelling genres that use like guitars and certain canons of song craftsmanship differently. How and what she will embody and what she'll choose to embody, like we will see, but it will be interesting because now the judges of her success of having done this will very much be the white country establishment. They will be white people. And she's already lived to prove the point that like they hold that gate locked and closed. They do not let people in very easily. And country, I think, is a particularly stratified 
um, musical organization and world now more than ever. I mean, even a white woman, Marin Morris, if y'all know her, who came up in country, you know, set her uh, or like put her roots down, her musical foundations in Nashville, which is like the country music capital of the country, if not Austin, I think Nashville is still number one. She has like made a big stink in a way out of like, I'm leaving country because country is so still anti-woman, anti-feminist, anti-queer that I don't belong here because I want those people to know that I represent them and they do not feel represented by this country music establishment, so nor do I, so I'm leaving. I wonder what she has to say about a Beyonce being like, I've never belonged, I've tried one time to belong and I already was like boxed out, but now I'm gonna go in harder because I'm richer, bigger and more powerful than ever. And I have a story to tell. I wonder what Marin would say and if she's gonna be like, good luck girl, like people are gonna say things, write stories, criticize you in ways like you've never thought of and maybe that's the point. And that's really intense. Like to imagine the record coming out, the criticisms that will inevitably come out purely because someone that looks like, sounds like, and performs like Beyonce is performing country music with no other context than that. Like that's intense and no one should have to suffer that level of like racist, anti-female, anti-queer gatekeeping. Is there still a reasonable critical eye that we should have on her of like, how correct does she get her references? To me, I think her collaborators, if she chooses to collaborate, I like hope she does. I think that's gonna be one key to this. She didn't really collaborate with a lot of people on Renaissance. She referenced a lot. I think this would be the album to collaborate, to actually bring the other storytellers who have lived this a little bit more than her into not just the creation, but the performance and give them the credit, like put them in the artist line with her. I think that's one way to do it. I think another way will just be to do it differently. And maybe she has her intentions set on that. My initial reluctance and fear was just like, it's easy to put a hat on and to put a costume on and to like play country, you know? And like, in a way that can also be its own performance, like in like a drag or camp way to show a genre that like, y'all, it's not that hard. We can all put the costume on and like do si do and line dance and like do the shit that y'all are over there gatekeeping needlessly, by the way, from the people that created this genre. That's actually an interesting performance, but it's also really surface and doesn't go to where I know that Beyonce at this level of her career wants to go. But my hope is that she will get into some of the I mean, she's explored New Orleans almost in like a fetishizing way at this point. And there's a lot to be told of country music, of blues music, of pre-jazz, jazz music in New Orleans, where so much like gospel, blues, jazz, and country all came together to form new genres. And like all of it was black. There's so much to be told there. And I wonder if and what former musicians she will involve in her song making, what current musicians she will and I hope she will also use this opportunity to like push the space open for more um, because that maybe was something I don't know if Renaissance did. She didn't need to, but it Renaissance felt like house is fun. I have a connection to this because I, I mean, she has a very real connection through her like gay uncle who I believe died of AIDS. Please fact check me if I'm wrong. I think she has said that on the record. Like she, she had a personal connection to, to house and ballroom, but she is just kind of like leaving it now. 
I don't know if that's going to set the stage for it to like thrive better as a more inclusive and visible genre in a way. And I don't know if that's her point. Like now I'm kind of talking in circles, like how much can we actually expect of someone? But I think my last point, the reason I'm like getting to this like heavily knotted point or set of points is because like sometimes it just comes back to like this woman is a billionaire. You know, there's we have a lot of billionaires on earth now. Um, not all of them control culture the way that Beyonce does and the way that Taylor Swift does. In a way, like Beyonce is using this opportunity, weaponizing her power for good, hopefully, to teach us something. Whereas like, I think Taylor is trying to use her power to explore internal monologues on the biggest scale possible. Now that's like maybe over reductive, but that's like what I see. You know, Taylor is taking her singer songwriter thing to its vertical zenith and Beyonce is casting the net horizontally. Those are two different approaches. And I think it's admirable to do I hope what Beyonce wants to do. It's also really cool. The rumors now are that she will do her third chapter uh, in the rock vein to reclaim yet a third genre that was like black owned and operated, black founded, co-opted by white people, sold back to, you know, the masses as if white people had been there first. I mean, like the Elvis Presley syndrome of it all, like as if he was like the ultimate rock star where, whereas like his songwriters were all black, you know, et cetera. Like that's, a super interesting story to be told. It just will kind of always beg the question, is it her story to be told? Does it matter? You know, if the story is being told by someone who is being as careful, cautious, and thoughtful as possible and belongs to one of the communities or multiple of the communities of which she is speaking, maybe it doesn't matter that it's not her story. I guess I just have trouble being like following a billionaire, you know, into the sunset because at the end of the day, she is just like selling us stuff and she is controlling culture. She is using the Super Bowl to like put out an ad, you know, like at the very surface, it is like some eye rolly stuff. Whereas like, I don't know what the alternative would be. Just like go enjoy your life and your money. I don't necessarily think that's better or like of higher integrity or like moral superiority, but I think it's reasonable to criticize or to scrutinize billionaires at this level. Like, I, I'm sorry, I think if you have that much money and if you have that much control and you have that much power, we're gonna look at you sideways literally for the rest of your life. And I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's a bad thing because there's so few of them and their choices should be looked at under a microscope. Like I know in Taylor's world, she's getting like her airplanes being tracked or one of her airplanes is being tracked right now. And like, obviously that puts her in some imminent danger. But like the person has a point, like this woman is like, she, her carbon footprint is like exponentially bigger than any one of ours. And like, we're the ones bearing the brunt of the, the effects, you know? And like, she's not like those kind of things I think are reasonable. It really is of our generation and the generations following to be like, but like, but what do we do? We can't handcuff everyone that might get to that status to do nothing for the rest of their lives because we'll find error in that too. I guess just me in my heart of hearts as someone that loves music more than anything in the world, I am more reluctant to follow the most popular person in the world <laughs> than I am the person that no one knows about who's doing something just for the joy of it that they love. You know, I always like finding an artist on their first or second albums when they're just doing it because they don't know what else to do. And that's just what they were born to do. And there's just no question. Like, and in a way their story doesn't deserve to be held by the shoulders and shaken for its seriousness or its integrity or its comprehensiveness this much because 
usually they're young. They only know so much. We can only expect them to know so much. And like, maybe that's like the, the great conundrum of youth. Like they don't know what they have, you know, like they are in a way, like they can't bear the brunt of criticism because they only know what they know and they're doing what they know how to do. And as soon as that line is crossed of being too wealthy, too powerful, too able to know more, uh, we then, our standards shift. And it's interesting to really think like, I don't know when that happens. I don't know if it's a dollar amount. I don't know if it's like a measurable piece of like how we can measure their power. But I do think it's reasonable. You know, I think it's reasonable for Beyonce and Taylor to be scrutinized at this level, not to be made unsafe, but to be scrutinized because their stories are being told 10 million or let's just say 1 billion times louder than any of ours. So if they're going to step out of their stories and tell bigger stories, we deserve to scrutinize those a billion times more than any individual that like doesn't have that power, you know? So, whoo, y'all, I was, I was really going there for quite a while. Um, those are the reasons that I think I had a hard time at the surface with being like, she's putting on the country costume and like saddling up, but there is so much potential here and there is so much learning for her to help us all do, including herself, you know? And I hope that that's the thesis statement of this next project. And, Y'all, honestly, Daddy Lessons was such a serve. Like, she embodies the genre well. It'll be totally kick-ass if, like, she can not only own it and make beautiful music, and it looks like she's going to release some visuals this time, but to also, like, really kick some of the doors in on the country music establishment that have stood an unreasonable test of time um, as, like, keeping people out. You know, like, that'll be really cool, too. So, anyway, y'all, you know, I guess at the end of the day, we can now add Beyonce to the great canon of pop stars that go through a country chapter. What do y'all think? Uh, did y'all hear resonant points that you agree with? Did you hear things you really don't agree with? Please let me know. It's rare to have someone on earth like Beyonce that can spark this level of conversation. So like, let's have it. I think that's the best part of all of this. Um, thanks for tuning in y'all. And uh, please, you know, support me and be encouraging on my little journey doing this because it is, an act of vulnerability, and I am not a billionaire. <laughs> I am not a millionaire. Uh, and it's just me talking to a camera, trying to <laughs> feel life in my veins just the same. So thank you for the support so far, and uh, help me up level, you know, nudge me in the right directions, but be nice about it, okay? Uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into The Vocal.